When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back into UAP for this episode 76. I am Stephen Diener here with you as always on the Unidentified Alien Podcast as we continue recounting some of the most bizarre alien encounter stories in this part two episode after going through part one a couple weeks ago. And when I say bizarre, I do mean it. And boy, did I ever fall down a rabbit hole with this one. You'll know what I mean in just a few minutes because this ended up going in a couple of different directions that I did not expect when I first sat down to put this to, uh, kind of put this one together. And then as I started going through it, I thought, "Wow, this uh, this took a lot of turns. I did not, I didn't see coming. I, I did not have plans." So we're gonna go through all of that here. You're gonna learn about this uh, new bizarre encounter in this part two of this series. But first, before we get into all that today, let's of course. Check out our factoid. Ladies and gentlemen, the factoid. Love that one. Well, it didn't get a lot of attention here in the States, but and what I'm referring to is something that happened in India last week, actually. And it was strange and bizarre in its own right, really. This event certainly had people there talking, even though it didn't really make a lot of news here in the U.S., it seems like we had a bona fide mass sighting at a major airport. So much so that the Indian Air Force scrambled a couple of fighter jets to check it all out. Yes, this really did happen. And it happened, like I said, just about a week and a half ago or so on November 19th in uh, Manipur, India at the Imphal International Airport. So this is the actual news report from this event. Again, about a week and a half ago, as the news broke that the... Uh, all air traffic had to be diverted and flight operations were being suspended due to the sighting over the airport. This is what the news report sounded like there in India as they reported on this. And they took it very seriously. Just, you know, kind of listen to the tone of the voice here. Where an unknown flying object was seen hovering high above the Beer Tekendra Jeep International Airport in Imphal. And also what we are learning is that the Indian Air Force has activated the air defense systems nearby uh, after the reports came in of this unidentified flying object above the international airport in Imphal. And two flights, one coming in from Kolkata, one from Delhi, were diverted. So pretty interesting to hear the serious tone in their news reporting of the story, you know, considering, I guess, the tone that we're used to hearing here from the U.S. media on stories such as these. Well, that is... Honestly, even if they reported 
on it all. But nevertheless, this sighting took place for around two hours, actually, according to witnesses. It was about two to three hours where in this and there is video of this. If you go on social media, I'll um, I'll I'll retweet it today on Twitter at UA podcast 850 is where you can find me uh, for, the you know, everything about the show and everything that, that I post on Twitter for the show um, at UA podcast 850 right there on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. But in the video, it looks to be. It look, I'll be honest, it's not an overly impressive sighting. It, it looks to be like a shiny type of orb um, hovering in the sky. It's, it's, it's like a bright light, like, like a dot of light, and it's hovering in the sky above the airport. So it is concerning at the same time for the people who are there because, you know, look, this is during the day. It's not like, you know, the sun was setting and the stars were coming out and the planets were visible and we're like, oh, well, that's just Venus. The, like, there was something flying over the airport and kind of hovering there in the sky. Nobody knew what it was, but it was visible. So that's why they took it very seriously. Like I said, scrambled the fighter jets, you know, shut down air traffic for a couple hours. But what was it? Now, to be fair, it could have been some type of spy balloon, right? I mean, we've, we've seen our fair share of those here in 2023. Or it could have been another, you know, some type of man-made mechanism. But the fact is, we still don't know what was seen last week over the skies of Manipur, India, as reported by multiple witnesses. Again, this just wasn't something that, you know, somebody saw and they went on social media to talk about. This was, as you heard, reported on the news, taken very seriously. You know, Indian Air Force looked into it. So this this was a thing. And when the jets finally did make it over there, once, you know, they, they were scrambled that way, they didn't find a trace of anything because once they got to the site, of course... The UFO was gone, but I'm going to keep an eye on this one though to see if anything else comes from it because it it was it was odd um, and it was very public, and that's what always kind of you know captures my attention is these very type of public sightings. But now on to the main course as our first bizarre encounter, or actually this this bizarre encounter in general <laughs> comes to us from Edwards Air Force Base in California. When in 1971, a very startling and highly unusual UFO crash site was discovered. This is the story of the human survivor. That's right, the human survivor from the UFO crash. A truly fascinating woman named Lori Cordini. So, we begin in the summer of 1971 when an eyewitness, uh, whose name is Debbie Clayton, she says she saw and heard the crash that, uh, you know, kind of the crashing question here, I suppose. She said it took place a few blocks away from her house in the small town of California City, which is about 15 miles away from Edwards Air Force Base, which is huge, by the way. I mean, it's like a huge encompassing area, Edwards Air Force Base. There's a lot of different cities from, you know, in each direction when you go out, you know, east, west, north and everything. But for Debbie Clayton's part, she and a small group were, uh, you know, obviously naturally curious as to what just happened. What was that sound? What's going on? And they followed a cloud of dust that was kicked up in the air from the impact. And when they got there, they found what Debbie described as a small mushroom-shaped craft, which is kind of an odd shape. We don't hear about that, that shape a lot. And she recalled that it was about five feet high. And only 10 feet wide. It's almost like a pot of some sort. Like, this is small, right? I mean, this is... It's not very big at all. Five feet high and only only 10 feet wide. Now, she went on to further describe the craft as being grayish in color with green highlights. But 
It was all in one seamless, smooth piece with no windows. We've heard about things like that before many, many times. And this craft matches, you know, many other descriptions of UFO, UAP that we have, you know, heard about over the years, over the decades, really. But she also found one other thing odd that is the fact that it didn't gather any dust on it as it crashed to the ground. It was like, you know, stainless steel almost, right? There was there was nothing on it. But also strange to her was the fact that it had crash landed in a perfect upright position. So did they mean to hit the ground that hard? Or what did they just get lucky? Like nothing fell over. It was it was in a perfect upright position. But as she and the small crowd continued to examine this, you know, otherworldly craft, we presume, the Air Force showed up in Ernst and immediately began their damage control protocols from there. Even going as far as actually to grab and break someone's camera who had been taking pictures. And that that witness's name uh, was, uh, Debbie said his name was Dalton. But we never heard any more about Dalton in her eyewitness account. We never got a last name. We never got any more description of Dalton other than it was somebody that she knew. And he was taking pictures on a camera. What was weird, though, is that they threw the camera to the ground to destroy it, but they didn't take the film. So the film was just like kind of left sitting there. As far as I know, no pictures were ever developed. Obviously, I guess, you know, it ended up getting ruined on in uh, on the ground. Now, this all happened about 15 minutes after the crash landing, according to Debbie. That's when about 15 minutes after the Air Force came out. So California City, if it's 15 you know miles out, then they got there pretty quickly. She recounted that the uh, Air Force personnel or military personnel, when they came in, they had their guns drawn and kind of like aggressively instructed her and the other people who were there to move away, like get out of there. Now they listened, they, they, they complied, but only moving as far as across as the field uh, as they continued to watch the Air Force personnel kind of clean up the crash site. Now, this is where she says more trucks came and even a small crane came in, which she says picked up the UFO and put it on the back of a truck, which drove away in the direction of Edwards Air Force Base. Now, the military personnel, she says, then smoothed out the ground to make it look like nothing had happened. And before she and the others knew it, the whole thing was over. It was like nothing had ever happened. And as the days went on, Debbie was like, well, it's got to be on the news. Like, I'm going to hear about this. I'm going to read it in the newspaper. But there was nothing. There was no mention of this incident in any news outlet, neither in print nor on TV. So it seemed that the only people talking about it were her and the others who were there that day. Now, normally, I do want to just say real quick, because you're probably thinking, you know, well, what are we going to hear more about this? This is, you know, it's so funny because they say that I'm doing, you know, bizarre encounters, right? We're talking about bizarre encounters. And this is probably one of the only times, as bizarre as, as it might be, that as I'm doing a story, I could not find any sound about this. I could not, because normally I like to play some type of sound clip for you. If you're, you know, listen to the show, you've heard many different things as I go along, kind of illustrate more what you're hearing about. There was nothing. There was nothing on this. No sound clip, no news reports, no, you know, videotaped witness uh, interviews with Debbie Clayton or anybody about this sighting and this crash, which was frustrating. <laughs> But that's why I'm doing my best to kind of describe everything to you because this is where the strange and bizarre kind of takes over. 
I mentioned the names Lori Cordini. That's who you're going to learn about. So what does she have to do with all this? Like, who is Debbie Clayton? What does she have to do with Lori Cordini and this UFO crash? Well, Debbie's story went unnoticed until about 25 years after the fact. When around 1995, 1996, a woman named Lori Cordini popped up and she says that she was the survivor of that UFO crash. I would say that's quite a twist. And now here's the thing. Lori says that she was on the craft, not only by herself. No, she wasn't by herself, but she was there with three other gray aliens. So we're talking about a woman who now says almost 25 years after the fact, after that, this, you know, Debbie Clayton says she saw what she saw in 1971. Now we're in the mid nineties and Lori Cordini comes out and says that she was on that craft with three other gray aliens. Now, before I continue with that, I want to kind of point out an important missing detail here. When we were talking about the eyewitness account of Debbie Clayton, she had no mention of any bodies, kind of, you know, line of strewn on the crash site, as we may normally hear about. There's been so many different crash sites and crash, you know, stories over the decades, and where there's always something with, you know, bodies kind of lying outside the craft on the ground, but that wasn't the case here. She didn't see that. That is because Lori says she and three small gray aliens were not discovered until the UFO was taken back to Edwards. And that's where we pick up Lori's side of the story because... Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson... Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. It doesn't start on that day of the crash in 1971. It actually begins further back than that to her childhood in July of 1947 when Lori was five years old. Does that sound familiar, by the way, July of 1947? This is when she says she remembered seeing a bright light in the night sky one night in the New Mexico area. Yes, you guessed it. Same time frame, same state where the Roswell incident took place. But this is something different, though, that Lori could never really quite piece together. It wasn't the Roswell crash or, you know, that sighting. She says that it was it was before that. But she says that she remembered this, you know, occurrence for her entire life, but she can never make sense out of it. But now we fast forward a little bit to 1995, and that is when Lori came across Debbie Clayton's eyewitness account that we just went through from that 1971 crash and a print interview she did about it in the 80s. That So she's kind of surfing the web. She's trying to find out more about these things, and she comes across that interview that Debbie Clayton did talking about it in a newspaper. So from there... Lori decided to look into this more and see if there's any type of help that she can get, like a support group or something, something to help her figure this out. And she ended up finding a meeting of uh, a, a MUFON meeting, actually, which if you're not familiar with it, the Mutual UFO Network, they do you know a lot of work, investigations and things like that into UFO crashes and sightings, uh, abductions, everything when it comes to the UFO UAP phenomenon. And she found a meeting that was taking place where she was living at the time in Boone, North Carolina. 
And when she was there, she was struck by some of the other abduction testimonies that she heard while she was there. And she really felt like at that point that, you know, like this curiosity was taking over her. She felt that she needed to get this all finally figured out, right? She had this memory of her childhood from 1947 around the same time as the Roswell crash. Then she comes across this article and she starts kind of remembering something about that. And so then she goes to this meeting and she figures, you know, I'm not the only one who's going through these things. I kind of need to figure out what's going on. So she finally decided to kind of take the plunge because she was still confused about it all. And she decided to go uh, or kind of undergo hypnotherapy to unlock and understand all these regressed memories that she felt she had. They were stuck. She couldn't get it. And according to Lori, it actually worked out quite well. And from her sessions, she says she began to recall the details of that 1947 event first. According to her, she was chosen from a young age. And that's why I wanted to go back to when Lori Cordini was a child because it does all start there. This is a what or it was a lifelong journey for Lori where she says she was she was chosen from a young age to be like a conduit between humans and aliens. And she says she experienced their first abduction that night as a five year old child. And she talked about even in her hypnotherapy sessions where she remembers her mother trying to grab her feet as she was being taken out of the house in this bright light. And which, I mean, I can only imagine how terrifying that must have been. But the weird thing was, as Lori Lori, uh, remembered in her sessions, was that her mother didn't seem really scared. Like, she was more frustrated that it was happening, but she wasn't scared. So after all this, after her hypnotherapy session, she came to her mother and she said, you know, obviously as a grown adult now, in, in her in her 50s, she said, you know, mom, why didn't you ever tell me the truth about this? And that's when she opened up. And it seemed like, according to Lori, that her mom was some type of experiencer as well. Like she had gone through these things and it kind of opened up all these new doors. But she also regained her memories involving the 1971 crash, where she says that she was indeed on a pod like UFO with those three gray aliens as they were escorting her back to Earth from their mothership, where she says she was doing work. So it's kind of where, you know, you, you have to open up our horizons here as Lori starts to remember all these different things and says this is what was going on, that she was on this mothership, that she was part of a, you know, alien-human cooperation that she was working with with these aliens, that she wasn't you know, being taken against her will, that they would come and take her and she would do some type of work, you know, some type of, again, human-alien cooperation that she was a part of and essentially, you know, working on this mothership with the other great aliens. It's, it's incredible, the, the claims that she had here. So Lori ended up going on with uh, more details about this And she says that after the crash, only her and one other alien survived. So he started with three, and then it was just her and one other great alien. Now, you might be wondering where all this is coming from. She did do print interviews, but she never did any type of, you know, video that I could ever find anyway. I would have loved to play you 
some sound from her specifically, but I just cannot come across it. Maybe you do better than I can, but I at least wanted to impart her words and her story um, across to you here today on this, you know, part two of Bizarre Encounters, because this is definitely a bizarre one. She says that they were subjected to questioning and testing um, and that she was herself interrogated by not only military personnel, but she says that there were other gray aliens who were present and working with the military. She said that she was able to communicate with grays telepathically. And when she was there, she felt that this particular gray that, that was working with the military was telling her that he was actually proud to be working with them. Almost kind of like boasting about it to her, you know, like he was like, you know, hot stuff. Like, yeah, I'm cool. You know, they they trust me and I have, uh, you know, this this relationship. Like, it was very strange. She says it got even stranger, though, because on the other end of this, Lori says that while she and the other gray alien were being held at Edwards Air Force Base, at that point, she received a telepathic message from the head alien on the mothership, where she came from, or she actually refers to it as uh, the captain of the mothership. And she she does describe the alien in detail. And this all came back to her through, you know, regression therapy, uh, you know, this, this hypnotherapy, all these details. This is where it comes from. She described the alien as actually a taller female gray, which I found interesting that we had um, description of, of, of a sex in there. Because you never really hear that when it comes to descriptions of, you know, grays, the, the grays in general, right? It's always like, almost like a drone-looking type of being with no sexual organs attached. And But she says, she, she describes this taller female gray, and specifically, specifically said female. She said about six feet tall, actually, and she described her wearing a white gown. And as having short brown hair, I mean, this is unlike any other description I've ever heard of a gray alien, which kind of makes me wonder, and I'm just kind of thinking about this as actually I'm talking to you, telling you the story, are we talking about a hybrid alien here? Are we talking about a hybrid gray? I mean, does that explain the, you know, the the appearance of any type of, you know, sexual organs that would show that this is a female alien and the fact that it had short brown hair. We never hear these types of details, human-like details, human-like traits attributed to gray alien encounters. But in this one, Lori Cordini says that this gray alien had these, had these traits. So take it for what it's worth. And it, if that's the truth, again, I mean, I just I just wonder out loud, are we talking about some type of hybrid alien here? It's incredible. Um, but she says that she was given a message of sympathy, actually, from this captain. Because uh, according to Lori, she felt that this, um, this captain on the mothership felt helpless and frustrated because she wasn't able to help bring in Lori or the other aliens and help them out at all because they were afraid of being detected. And I want to touch on that in a second. But Lori even described her as being sorrowful and saying that she was surrounded by other smaller gray aliens who kind of felt that same sentiment of sorrow and frustration. I mean, this is really wild stuff here, obviously. And I just want to go back real quick to how Lori described this of, you know, saying that they were afraid of being detected because 
that's a thought that's kind of popped into my mind before when it comes to, you know, the any type of crash site, right? Why isn't there some type of rescue operation? If you're crashing, I mean, think about any military, you know, in the world. If there's some type of crash, there's a rescue, you know, a search and rescue operation, right? You try to find the pilots, you try to find the craft, see if everybody's okay or, you know, otherwise. But either way, you're trying some type of search and rescue operation. We never hear about search and rescue operations when it comes to UFO crash sites. Why is that? Now, this is all theory, of course, but is it possible that it just got, does come down to that? Like this, this fear of being detected. Now, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of having to explain what's going on? Are you afraid of, you know, meddling in affairs of, of a different race so, so publicly? And it's, it's an interesting concept. I mean, is it just a fear of these people aren't going to understand us and they're going to hurt us? Now, that part makes sense to me. I mean, you think about if, you know, a Star Trek movie, right? You remember the Star Trek movie where the, the one, one of the newer ones with, um, who was it, Chris Pine, who played Captain Kirk, where, you know, they come across the indigenous people of this young planet, and they're in this, you know, highly advanced ship and everything, and they don't know what they're looking at, right? You're afraid. That's that's the thing. It's it's human nature to be afraid of the unknown. The first reaction is fear, to have fear of the unknown. So if they are the aliens, that is, afraid of being detected, well, why would they be afraid of being detected? Because they know that if they come across, you know, if they come down in a mothership or something like that, there's gonna have there's gonna be a lot of questions and a lot of fear. And maybe that's why you don't see a lot of these search and rescue operations because they're afraid for their own safety, quite frankly. Something to consider, I suppose. Uh, it's kind of a question that's been in my head. But when it comes to the interrogation parts, you know, the testing and everything that, that Lori Cordina was talking about, kind of getting back to her story, was she says once it was all done, that's when the military kind of like attempted to wipe her memory using some type of, you know, all these different drugs and hypnosis and then once they did that, they dropped her off in the middle of nowhere, essentially, in Southern California. And even though this is a story you may find hard to believe, all in all, Lori certainly felt a sense of relief, according to all accounts, after finding all this out. She actually began to reach out to other, abduct, uh, other abductees uh, throughout the 90s and all the way until her passing in 2015, when Lori Cordini passed away. But it was during that time, though, that she made some pretty interesting comments about herself and her beliefs when it came to all of her experiences. In her later life, Lori said that she experienced duality, meaning that she lived both a three-dimensional human life and a four-dimensional existence as a light being, which she described as being duality. And when she said light being, she says that was essentially, you know, her way of describing uh, the... the someone's soul, your own soul. And she had stated her belief that her four-dimensional self, her light being, would gather information, what type of information, I'm not sure, you know, from the universe or whatever it may be, while her three-dimensional normal earthly body was asleep. And in one of her later interviews, Lori was quoted as saying, and I want, I'll, I'll finish off this story actually with this quote because I thought it was pretty interesting. It was um, poignant even. She said, it's not about little green men. It's about who we are as human beings and where we come from. 
our relationship to the cosmos, how the earth got here, how we're interrelated in the endless, endless journey. So there you have it, the bizarre and actually really quite fantastical story of Lori Cordini. Now, there will be a part three to this series, um, which I wasn't planning on, honestly. It was going to be two parts and then, you know, kind of go on to a lot of the other things that I want to cover with you during uh, UAP. There's so much out there. There's so much to, to discuss and discover and talk about and ask questions about. But there was just so much information and so much to present all at once. I felt like all of our heads would explode with all this info if I went on to the uh, second story that's, or I guess the third story, if I go back to, you know, part one that I want to present to you. So there will be a part three to this series and trust me, it's going to be worth it. So I will keep you updated on when that part three is going to come out to finish off what I guess ended up being a trilogy of uh, the most bizarre alien encounters. But before I go here, I do want to quickly touch on some of the big news that has come out over the past couple of days. And that was another reason why I wanted to save the final story for a part three of this series, because I wanted to take some time real quick just to cover as best I can some of the things going on in the UAP world. There's been so much news coming out and so much talk um, even today. You know, uh, in Washington, D.C., Representative Anna Paulina Luna is have, holding a press conference to talk about uh, disclosure and the, you know, Disclosure Act that's trying to be or trying to get passed through the House on Capitol Hill. And it's just been an absolute mess. We don't know what to believe. You know, is the Schumer Amendment better? Is the is the Burchett Amendment better? There's so much going on on Capitol Hill when it comes to talk of UAP disclosure that it is kind of overwhelming, to be honest with you. So I'm going to dig in more to that um, probably next week on UAP Weekly because I really want to dig into the to the minutiae and the details. And I want to let everything kind of play out the rest of this week. And I think we'll know more next week about what's really happening and what kind of steps forward we're going to be taking. Because remember, spoke about this. Uh, during the episode talking about David Grush's interview with Joe Rogan, where David Grush spoke about this, you know, the Schumer Amendment trying to get passed along with the uh, National Defense Authorization Act of 2024. You know, they're kind of going hand in hand and this stuff needs to get passed. And this UAP Disclosure Act was part of it. You know what they call the Schumer Amendment. That's that's what that refers to when you hear that. But it's been held up in the House. So you have these two things kind of going hand in hand. And David Grush spoke about it, saying it would be an absolute tragedy if this UAP Disclosure Act was squashed in the House. So there's been a lot of talk about this. Matt Gates and, you know, Representative Luna and Burchett and the Mikes, right? We spoke about Mike Rogers and Mike Turner in the past episode talking about David Grush's interview with Joe Rogan. So a lot going on in Capitol Hill. I want to let it all play out. Before I go into, you know, really all of the details, but that is something major, major going on right now in the UAP world that I did want to touch on and I am paying attention to it and uh, we'll get into more details, like I said, hopefully next week on UAP Weekly when it comes to that. Of course, the news that came out too about the CIA crash retrieval program, that was another big, you know, kind of uh, story that dropped this week. We learned about something called the Office of Global Access. So that was new to hear about something called the Office of Global Access. We hadn't heard that before, but that came out through a report. A really great journalist named uh, Christopher Sharp through the Daily Mail. That report came out and they spoke about, you know, how the CAA, there's some whistleblowers 
who they spoke to, a lot of, you know, obviously anonymous sources who they spoke to for this report out of the Daily Mail in the UK that said the CIA has this Office of Global Access program, which acts as a UFO crash retrieval program. And they have at least, the U.S. government that is, has at least nine UFOs in their possession. Now, we've heard that number is much higher, maybe upwards towards 30. But we don't know for sure, obviously, and that's kind of stuff that we're trying to figure out through disclosure, right? Like, what do we have? What does it mean? What can it do? All those questions. And this is kind of like my final statement for today, because I've heard people say, you know, the the U.S. government, they spend too much time on aliens. Who cares about aliens? It's not all about just, you know, hey, the aliens, man. Like, it's it, that's not it. It's about trying to uncover, trying to put out to the world this technology that will help so many people, that will change our society. This otherworldly advanced technology that these military contractors, companies like Lockheed Martin and, and the such, are holding to themselves or hoarding for their own, you know, government military purposes. And they have been for a very long time. Think what you want. That's just what's been going on. That's just my opinion. Again, I always say decide for yourself, but that's the way I've seen it for a long time. So it's not just about, you know, hey, aliens, man, you know, as some people like to say when they make, you know, they make fun of this issue because there are still a lot of people who think this is a taboo discussion and it's not and it shouldn't be. But it's about trying to get the truth out to everybody to say this is what's been going on. This is. This has been the cover-up, and this is what this information and technology can do for you and how it can help the world. And that's kind of the bigger picture with this, I think, that maybe, you know, some people are missing who still look at this issue as a joke. And that's a shame. So a lot to keep my eye on, obviously, or all of us, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the UAP world and a lot more to come up. Man, there is there is going to be a lot to update on. So definitely stay tuned to UAP and UAP Weekly. And, of course, on uh, social media as well, you can follow the show at UAPodcast850 on Twitter. That's where you'll see a lot of the updates of things that are going on that, you know, I'll be talking about on the show and everything like that. So thank you so much, as always, for joining me and kind of indulging in some of these strange tales. And a real quick thank you, too, to everybody for making this year of 2023 absolutely incredible and unimaginably successful Because, you know, this whole thing with Spotify came out where all these stats and everything from podcasts and music and how much people are listening and things like that. And to say that I was blown away by the amount of attention you all have given this show, a show that I just, you know, started and created and sit at my kitchen table thinking of ideas and writing down notes. And and the fact that you've taken to it the way that you have. And to where I see these things coming out from Spotify, where it's a top podcast and all in, you know, various countries and, you know, top five listen podcasts for over 15,000 people and all these incredible stats that Spotify um, had sent to me yesterday, you know, as all these things came out with their unwrapped, they call it unwrapped every year, just completely blown away. Um, the, the success of this show and the way that. You have taken to it. So here's to you. Thank you for for listening. Thank you for enjoying the show and for taking me in as someone that you trust with this issue. I won't disappoint you. Hopefully you continue to enjoy the show because there is 
a lot more to come in 2024. As big as this as 2023 has been, there is so much more to come in 2024. So if you thought this year was crazy, just wait until next year because things are going to get even crazier. And I hope you stick around to hear it all right here on UAP with me, Stephen Diener, on the Unidentified Alien Podcast. So all that being said, of course, don't forget to, to to continue to download and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple, or elsewhere. You can also follow the show, like I've mentioned a few times here, at UA Podcast 850 on Twitter. All the updates and everything I post there, you can reach out to me directly there as well. Um, if there's something on your mind, also through email, you can reach me at sdienerUAP at gmail.com. That's S-D-I-E-N-E-R-U-A-P at gmail.com. If you like to send me an email there with anything on your mind. And check out UAPpodcast.com. Everything having to do with the show is right there at UAPpodcast.com. So on that note, thank you all again for everything. I mean, I can't even put into words how much your support truly means to me. It's, it's unbelievable. So until next time, like I said, much, much more to come. So stay tuned right here to UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. It's Stephen Diener saying be well, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks.